0: This is The Film File. This is the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And this is us. And this is The Theme Tune. Hello and welcome back to The Film File. Welcome back not just to you, but welcome back to me and Andy.
1: Andy's back.
0: He's in the building, bros.
1: Guess who's back? Back again. Uh, yeah, wow. Hasn't this been strange over the past month with us like doing one show on, one show off, one show on? Well, I suppose Still for you it's been strange. my schedule
0: out completely. Yeah.
1: You've Absolutely. lost track of the days, whereas I'm like losing track of my own sanity just listening to myself <laughs> every two weeks. Um, for those of you out there who've stuck around and listened to the bonus episodes, uh, thank you for sticking around and checking out. Like Stephen got in touch, uh, regular listener. Um, and said, "Cheers for the bonus episode this week, Andy." I agree about Hugo because I pulled a few of yes, our deep I dives listened. in classic films. Been a while; need to rewatch. Be good to hear your thoughts on Obi wan and Stranger Things. I'm not up to date on Obi wan so you're not going to hear me thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm up to date on Obi wan so I'll, I'll give you some uh, updates on that, Stephen.
1: Um, and oh, and Ms. Marvel, of course. Next time we will be talking about Ms. Marvel today. I think I we've think both so. seen that first episode. Uh, still recommending he's still recommending Lovely Bones for a deep dive. So yes, still on our uh, When You asked
0: me for a deep dive. I didn't suggest that one. I suggested something <laughs> entirely different. But it's good to have uh, you back. It's it's been very very odd not having you. Uh, well, not having you to to bounce yeah. off. Otherwise, I'm just talking to myself. Uh, and, and secondly, it's just thrown my schedule out because you know we usually record the show on a Sunday, and then you spend a couple of days editing. And yeah. I coordinate everything, whether we could do it first thing in the morning or lunchtime-ish or, or a little bit later in the day. I coordinate my day around the film file. And I, I felt I felt kind of all over the place by not having mm. my regular uh, my regular Sunday date with you.
1: Yeah, it, it it's really is disorientating now that we're in such a routine with it. That it, even if we delay ourselves by one day because one of us is tied up on the Sunday, it's felt weird in the past. Because then, you know, on the Monday night when we record last minute, it'll be, what day is it tomorrow? Uh, I, am I in work tomorrow? I, I lose track of thoughts. But um, it's worth it. Um, all this upset, and I know that some of you listeners might be a bit upset that we haven't caught up on films. And I'm more upset than you because I've watched literally two films in the past two weeks. Um, I have been working from like 7am till about midnight or one o'clock in the morning, most days um, without a day off. So that's why we've had to do this. And I've managed to find the time to put the bonus episodes together. And don't forget, if you're only a podcast listener, do go over and check out the No Barriers bonus episodes that we've done over the past month, because there's two which focus on different aspects of music and films And I know I say that I don't normally listen back to the the shows after I've edited them, but each of these ones, I love the music so much that I just listened to the whole thing over as soon as it was finished. And in the can, it's like, oh, I need to spend an hour listening to all this. Beautiful. Uh, I'm not just. Well, well, I've got one, Andy. I've got a
0: music one to do to drop in for No Barriers as well.
1: Oh, that'll be a good one. I'll unleash that. It was just quite fun to do something a bit different, and you know, I know yeah. we've said that we don't want to do it on a regular thing because it does add workload in to keep doing them. But I think as an occasional extra bonus episode for exclusivity to no barriers, I think it's a really good idea.
0: Well, you know that I've I've got this dream of doing a, a live episode at some point, yeah, in front of a in front of an audience, and uh, one day, one day we'll make that we'll make that so as the old saying used to go make it so mr crusher <laughs> so i'm glad to have you back because uh, well we've got one heck of a show to put together and in this week's show what have we got well andy and i are going to be doing this week's deep dive in light of the release of the latest in these dino escapades we're going to be talking about jurassic park andy is going to be reviewing
1: I will be reviewing two net, the only two films I've seen in the past two weeks. I usually watch 700 films a year. How have I only managed two in two weeks? Uh, I'm got, we've got Interceptor and Hustle. Two films from Netflix. One is really good. One is really miserable. And the other miserable. one's
0: Interceptor. <laughs> <laughs> I've been supposedly. trying to get that gag in. <laughs> We're both going to be talking about the release on Disney Plus of the latest Marvel show, Miss Marvel. I'll give you my update on Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll have our neat things, but before any of that, yes, the welcome return of the news. And as ever with the news, we'll be kicking off with the box office. And let's, uh, let's start with, even though it's had withering reviews, I'm guessing Jurassic World Dominion is going to be at the top of the charts. But before we start, I was quite surprised to see how little of a drop-off that Top Gun Maverick had.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's kept a very good, strong couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah. It's really kept going. So it's, uh, it's take, definitely taking people to the danger zone. And, you know, it's before the start of this weekend, it was already getting close to 600 million worldwide box office. And showing no time sign of actually slowing down. In fact, it's putting the afterburner throttle on. and Potentially going to be breaking past the billion in a few weeks.
0: Does that mean a third movie? I wonder.
1: It'd be an inter- It'd be interesting to see if they do go that route. I don't think they should, because whilst I enjoyed Maverick, I did feel that it was just the same film, just polished up better as the original film. And it's a great film, and I would say that it's possibly one of the best action blockbusters. Of recent history. It's just that the action blockbusters, I think that's more just a a telling sign of like how the action blockbuster industry just churns out rubbish, that you can get something that's really good, but it's still just an action blockbuster. Uh, It's not the film of the year, as far as I'm concerned. I know there's people out there who are saying it's their top film of the year. It's like, well, you need to watch more films because if you're saying that's the film of the year, you've not watched The Northman. You've not watched Everything Everywhere all at once. You know, they're the films of the year with all different tastes. But what great box office. But the key thing is, is Jurassic go, like, going to drop it off? So let's have a look at what Jurassic has been doing. So yeah, it was pretty obvious that Jurassic World was going to stomp its big dinosaur feet all over the box office worldwide this weekend. So let's start with the US, where it's taken 145 million in its opening weekend, knocking Top Gun Maverick down to second place with 51.9 million. Maverick is now up to 749 million worldwide, which is a pretty good number to be at when you're entering into your third week. Doctor Strange still hanging in there, taking another 5.2 million this weekend in the US. It's now taken a total of just under 400 million in the US and 931 million worldwide. The slowing down means it's going to struggle to cross that billion but it's still possible with the way it's hanging in there. The bad guy's still maintaining a position in the top five of the US with 2.5 million additional added to its total this weekend. It's now 230 million worldwide. That's a pretty good figure for a non-franchise animated movie. And Bob's Burgers movie takes 2.5 million in the US this weekend, taking its total in the US to 27 million. And worldwide to 29 million. Meanwhile, here in the UK, Jurassic World Dominion again takes the top spot, taking 12.1 million this weekend. Top Gun Maverick again knocked to second place, 5.6 million, taking its total in the UK to 50.1 million so far. Doctor Strange again in third place, 397,000 added to his total. 41.5 million pounds is taken so far in the UK over the six weeks. Everything, everywhere, all at once, hanging in at number four with 205,000 taken taking its total to 4.5 million, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, still collecting those rings and racing around in fifth place with 182,000, taking its UK total to 26.5 million.
0: So that's the box office. Andy, give us the latest news. And let's start, shall we, with Warner Brothers and the shuffling that's been had uh, in the top upper echelons of of, uh, that particular organisation.
1: Yeah, since the buyout and merger with Discovery, um, there's been a lot of things going on, a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation as to what the lay of the land is going to look like going forwards. Well, apparently, Michael DeLuca and Pamela Abdi have reached a deal to run Warner Brothers Pictures a new line, which means that they're stepping away from their role at MGM since that distributor merged. With Amazon after the Amazon buyout, Um, Emma Watts is apparently said to be the favourite to take the helm for MGM. DeLuca and Abdi previously worked as part of the Warner's team way back in the early part of this. Yeah, Uh, so it's based on the returning back to the folds that they exited to get better deals. They feel that they can come back. Toby Emmerich is exiting his role at Warner Brothers and New Line, but he's reported to be retaining the production deal. Yeah, it's um, it, it. Past few years, he's been—I'd I'd, I'd, I'd like want to say steering the ship of particularly the DC products, but it's more like crashing them heavily into an iceberg. Um, uh, which apparently his exit is because David Zaslav, who's the top brass at uh, Discovery, he's not impressed with how all the franchises that they've got have been underperforming. I mean, even the Fantastic Beast franchise it's dropping off and dropping off. And the most recent one didn't do much at all. So Zaslav apparently met with Disney's Bob Iger and Alan Horn for advice on how they handled things. And he now plans three lines within the Warner Brothers, Warner Pictures and New Line Studios. So there's Warner Brothers and New Line, there's DC, and then there's the animation studios. And all the projects will fall somewhere underneath them. There's still a lot more shuffling going on. Zaslav has apparently asked Joker director Todd Phillips to do more within the DC universe, not necessarily in, like, behind the camera, but maybe in a production, and not, as some people have tried to report it, as the fee for DC, because yeah. there's no one set in that role. But it's more that they've seen the success that Joker did with a low budget and a different take on things, and I think they want to get try and get that, with, hopefully with properties that work we don't want them to do it with everything we don't want the the standard feel i think the dc products will benefit from have, not necessarily sharing the same universe because i want green lantern to be fun i yes. want batman to be dark and brooding i want superman to be a glimmer of hope you know i want them to have a different feel within dc because i don't think even as a comics brand they have that consistency between titles that Marvel tend to do,
0: I mean, we've we've heard the news that uh, Todd Phillips has been asked to create a Joker sequel. They've announced that this week. Everybody apparently is on board.
1: We've we've seen a title.
0: Yes, personally, I, do, I don't think there's 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 room for a sequel, and I'll discuss why when you give us the title.
1: Yeah, the title was revealed by Todd Phillips himself with a shot of the screenplay uh, cover, which is Joker Folly Ado. Now, okay. do you oh, know what French. that means?
0: I'm gonna take a guess, and I think it's something to do with psychosis.
1: It may, it literally means folly of two, and what it refers to in the psychology industry, <laughs> industry, it's like they churn people up for madness. Hey, it's an industry. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's basically the phrase that they use for a shared psychosis or shared delusional disorder. Now, we know from our analysing of the first Joker film that, you know, I sit firmly on the side of everything that we saw was a fake reality from his point of view. And, yeah, it's his delusional look at how his life went when none of it actually took place. And this suggests a shared one, so two people. So are we going to get, like, some Batman delusions going into there? You
0: see, I... I have a lot of love for Joker. I think it's it's a superb film. Did something very different. The problem I have with a sequel is at some point you have to, you, you're either going to go down the, this taxi driver route that the, the, the movie is going down, or there is going to be at some point a cry from the audience to say, hey, bring in Batman, uh, bring in someone for the Joker to fight. If he's going to be a villain, uh, if he's going to be what he looks like, he he created this this chaos. Then you need to to follow that. Who's going to be hunting down the Joker now? The good money I'm thinking is isn't, but it's not going to be Batman, and it's not going to be superhero esque. I'm just wondering: a Is it necessary? Do we necessarily need a, a sequel? Uh, and of course, not seeing the script, not seeing any ideas yet, it, potentially we could be. But i I'm just thinking. You know, I, I've had problems before with this DC world that Batman's created. You know, uh, there can't be elaborate villains because it's so grounded. And I think there's middle ground for the kind of work that the Batman was. You know, the the the, the noirish, sevenish look, and a middle ground between that and Tim Burton quite closely. Batman Begins yeah. was nearly that, but then went even you know, further down into this French connection sort of thing. So I, I've, I've got some reservations about it. Of course, I, I wait and I, I hope I'm proved wrong, but that is my initial reservation.
1: It's one of those films that I don't think we need to have a second film like yourself, yeah. but I'm willing to be surprised and be proven wrong because I didn't think we needed a Joker film, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we were and both in the same uh yeah the same uh, agree- agreement on that one
1: couldn't see what the reason for having a joker solo movie was and then at the end of it, it was like that was brilliant that was so well put together so let's see let's hold off and see on this one but yeah there's still going to be a lot more going on with um behind the scenes at warner's over the next few months as people start to slot into spaces maybe we'll eventually find out what's happening with the flash movie and aquaman with regards to aquaman all that we know at the moment is that well, apparently um, Amber Heard's role has now been rumoured to be 20 minutes, not the 10 minutes that we, we, we were promised. It's
0: still not a lot out of two hours, to be perfectly honest. 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It's, its you know, that's spread out over, let's assume, yeah, either two-hour films or the first 20 minutes of the movie.
1: It appears at this point in time that the filmmakers all want to retain the people who were involved in it because well, you've, you've finished shooting it. You don't want to have the having to reshoot around things and retweak things and re-edit. But we won't know where it's going to settle until it gets closer to the end of the year, I reckon. But one thing's for certain, the Flash is in serious trouble. Uh, Netflix has been through the ring of recently, as we've reported yes. on many times. And just as we've said over the last few years, there's got to come a point when their spend, spend, spend approach to making properties would need to be reined in as we've been saying for ages, that Netflix has generally run in debt and it just makes things to build up a profile. Well, that time for reigning in is apparently up on us. Okay. Um, even though they still dominate the streaming market with over 220 million subscribers, the rise of Disney, Paramount, etc. I mean, Disney are up to just on 200 million themselves worldwide, including their ESPN and sports broadcast subscriptions, certainly leaving an impact. So there's got change ahead of them. The new mantra at Netflix is to release fewer movies, but make them both bigger and better. In other words, they're going to target quality over quantity. Something that is very apt, given the two Netflix films that I'm talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, small movies aren't necessarily going away. And in fact, they might even get more niche, whilst the streamer will keep acquiring distribution rights for them, such as its recent Pain Hustlers deal at Cannes. Uh, those involved, point out that this doesn't mean that they'll all be big budget films. Basically, instead of making two films for 10 million, they're going to make one good film for 20 million. That's their intention going forwards. Now, we've been past year and a half, two years, there's been at least one new release every week on Netflix. Yeah. And let's be honest, whilst it started off generally being good and there was something to look forward to, I can't think off the top of my head of a Netflix film that really stood out for quite some time. And the problem here is because they don't promote them because they've been churning out so many that they haven't got time to let you build up any hype for it. You get a trailer a week before it drops, it drops, and then it's vanished into the algorithm somewhere. Less product might actually benefit making people realize how much is on the service. Because you go on, you could go on week from week and not even realize anything new there because the algorithm hasn't popped anything new into your feed because they're not promoting them. And so you stopped your subscription because you generally have to dig to find the good stuff.
0: Yes. I mean, I, I had time on my hands yesterday and I was looking for something to watch. And I went straight to Netflix, as I usually do. And I thought, well, there's there's nothing new. Now, there was a couple of series that I'm following which mm. are about to return. Of course, we had the trailer for Sandman, which I'm very, very excited about. Yep. But I, I, I didn't find anything other than Interceptor which didn't interest me at all. Thankfully, you you, uh, you bit that fully for me. But, uh, yeah, I found it particularly difficult to find out what was new because there was nothing within my algorithm that was suggesting anything for me other than next week with Umbrella Academy.
1: I mean, I, I use an app called Just Watch each week to just yes. see what new things have dropped. But I shouldn't have to use a third-party app. Yeah,
0: yeah. To find absolutely.
1: out what's on a streaming service, so Netflix really need to sort it out, and it's not just Netflix. Amazon are almost as yeah, bad. Say, every
0: now, don't get me started with trying to find something on Amazon.
1: <laughs> every now and then, Amazon, when you scroll down, you know it has all your recommended for you lists and all that. Every now and then, yeah. there'll be new releases every day list, and that's what they need to have at the top because yeah. it always does it in order of like this is the most recent thing that's dropped. Why bury that? Why bury your new properties? I don't get it at all. Apple, get it right. Apple, if I go onto Apple TV now, there's adverts for shows and films that are coming out in two months' time, and they will stay at the top header page and be promoted significantly, including like little trailers before any shows as you watch them, for a month and a half leading up. And that's what we need, because we need to know yeah, the content. Yeah, I was content. about to say, Apple, I think Disney do it as well, very
0: well. Disney, you always yeah. know when something new's landed. Maybe not for stars, but uh, for certainly for, for most Disney content. They promote it, you know, with trailers and with behind-the-scenes shows and uh, exclusive material spots. that They did that for, for Miss Marvel and the build-up to Obi-Wan. You know, yeah. they threw an awful lot at it and, 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 and paid off with both shows.
1: And speaking of Apple... The Formula One racing movie that we discussed weeks and weeks ago that was being developed by Brad Pitt and Joseph Kosinski, which had the bidding war, like everyone wanted their hands on this. Of course, as we said, Apple were going to get it, weren't they? And they've nabbed it. Um, They've nabbed it with a deal that has taken five months to get right. And that's because there was a lot of negotiations to keep crews and teams who've worked together on board the film. Some of the team who've worked with Kosinski on Maverick will be joining the production. And Lewis Hamilton is definitely on board as a producer and advisor of it. Uh, the goal of the film, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering how they can do this because yeah. we've seen so many racing films, but their goal is to actually put audiences behind the wheel in a way not really seen before in a film. And hey, well,
0: look what Kaczynski did with Top Gun, though. He made well, you yeah, feel exactly. as though you were, you were a fighter pilot. He made you feel that, that Tom Cruise was piloting. That plane, so I I, I don't have any concerns with him on board as director.
1: Every one of his films, visually, he knows how to get an action sequence together. I've always adored what he can do with staging a big moment, even in a lower budget, a lower paced film like Oblivion, which didn't need any action in it because it was a very throwback, throwback to seventies thing. But it had that canyon chase that wasn't necessary, but my god, it was great. But the film is going to be focusing on... A, it's a generic plotline. A retired driver comes out of retirement to want, once more mentor a rookie into the Formula One. Surprise, surprise. That's just a generic script. Uh, but a big surprise with the deal, and this caught me off guard, is that it's going to include a minimum of 30 days, potentially 60 days, cinema exclusivity. Yes. Okay, that's good. Apple Apple Productions are now heading towards cinemas. And whilst they've done it before on things like Wolfwalkers, that was only a a low distribution. This is planned to be a major distribution. So they're still trying to work out a distribution partner to work on with this. But the filmmakers and Apple will take a 50-50 split of the take into the box office.
0: Well, I have some news then. What do you have for me? We still have no announcement on the director of Fantastic Four, though... Marvel have suggested that they want a name director to carry this film forward. So your guess is as good as mine as to who that could possibly be. But Marvel did announce this week that they are developing, with writer Eric Pearson and director Jake Schreier, a Thunderbolts movie. Which, even though I've not read much in the way of any Thunderbolts stuff over at Marvel, my take is it's kind of their Suicide Squad.
1: Yeah, exactly. A group of supervillains are used by the government to conduct covert missions. It's Suicide Squad, but it's not as jokey as Suicide Squad. And the Thunderbolts' impact on the Marvel Universe has led to some major events over the years as well. Uh, You know, obviously, there's, there's the controversy with the fact that all of a sudden heroes end up fighting alongside these Thunderbolts villains who are brought in. And there's also been destruction of towns caused by the Thunderbolts that have caused controversies. It's it's an interesting one. I, what an interesting director! I mean, this guy gave us Paper Towns and Robot and Frank. Not exactly yes. what you'd call like action spectacles. And this is what I love about the MCU with their choices is they don't go for they don't go for the typical directors. They go for someone who's good with character storytelling. Yeah, and um, they've not revealed any names of who the cast are, are going to be for the Thunderbolts. Or who the characters are going, which characters are going to be in there? But come on, anyone who's been paying attention over the last year and a half with regards MCU releases on Disney Plus or at the cinema, you can put some pretty safe bets in there, can't you?
0: There's, there's pretty much a good guess that it could be Valentina Allegra De Fontaine, who appeared in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Black Widow, because clearly her character is building to something. So, that also might suggest um, US Agent, you know, the Captain America stand in from Falcon and Winter Soldier. So, yeah, kind of interesting. I think they are laying the groundwork, which Marvel does so, so well. So, there's a chance that we could see, you know, people like Baron Zemo, a whole bunch of villains, a whole bunch of uh, characters like John Walker.
1: So, yeah, interesting. Thunderbolts is on the horizon. Let's see if it can manage to tap into that Suicide Squad-esque kind of nature. Also, Blade is going to start filming early next month in Atlanta and New Orleans. Well,
0: that's taken its time, hasn't it?
1: It's taken its time, but it's finally built into it now. Bassem Tarek is directing the film, which sees Mara Shara Ali playing the half-human Daywalker, who was famously played by Wesley Snipes in the original trilogy. Um, in other Marvel news, it's been speculated and speculated and speculated, but Rhett Reese and Paul Vernick are busy working on the script for Deadpool 3, and I've reassured fans that the tone is not going to be interfered with by Disney.
0: Well, this will still go out as part of Fox, won't it? As part of the Fox studio system now.
1: Yes. whether How much is going to impact on the MCU is uncertain. But as Reese has said, uh, they, they've, meaning Disney, have been very supportive with regard to that. Now, when it comes to a particular joke, if we cross a line, maybe we'll hear it at some point. Maybe not that joke, but I think they've been incredibly supportive of what we're doing because obviously we were doing it separate from them for a long time. And I think they've seen the success and they've had their own even greater success. So hopefully it will be a marriage made in heaven, but we've definitely got their support and that's a great thing to feel. So that suggests to me that they're keeping it the lower budget end again to allow the creative freedom so that there's the less risk because, you know, I don't think a Deadpool movie needs to be a high budget. It should feel reined in but wild at the same time. And I, I, I've loved the fact that, you know, in the first film, it made reference to the fact that it was low budget, that he couldn't get all the extra X-Men in there. Yeah. And that's what you need from, like, the humour of Deadpool. He needs to be aware of all the un, like all the failings of the cinema side of it because he's breaking that fourth wall. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we're just going to see it, stick to formula, and just have fun. And on other Marvel news, because there's a lot, we're heading over to Sony. Have you seen um, how Sony, desperate to get some more money back after the clear failures of uh, Mobius, have revealed plans to release an extended No Way Home in September, aka the more fun stuff edition? <laughs> I mean, that that's clearly yeah. a title that was scrawled in crayon by a six-year-old.
0: Uh, also, have you heard this this story during the rounds about Mobius 2? Uh, more, oh. what's
1: it called? More Mobin. Oh, man. Sony are, have fallen completely for the internet like prank because it was an internet meme for everyone <laughs> to try to pretend that they loved Morbius and wanted more Morbius. And so what did Sony do? They released the film again in the US and it bombed. They spent a fortune re-releasing a film that bombed. I didn't know
0: they'd actually re-released it. I know they were talking about it. It didn't <laughs> come out again.
1: Whoever came up with that idea at Sony... Is probably losing their job pretty quickly because I if you can't pick They're up on people, already, if you can't pick up on the fact that people on Twitter should never be believed and most of them spout nonsense and love to play pranks, then you really shouldn't be su- touching the social media sites. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's speculated into a rumor that Morbius two has gone into production, but <laughs> I don't think it has. Uh, surely no. someone at no. Sony's got to wake up and smell the coffee and go, no, clearly people don't want this film. But you never know. They've made worse mistakes. Back to No Way Home, the more fun stuff version. Uh, how much extra is going to be added hasn't been revealed. But knowing past cash grab attempts like this, I would not be shocked if it's just 30 seconds. Yeah. It's just it's just an extra clip of Andrew Garfield sneezing or something. And I'd say, whoa, there's your extra bit. Maybe, will they take that end credit sting of the Doctor Strange trailer off now and put something else in its place? I don't know. It, will it have re-edited things we don't know anything we just know that they're now already promoting it as though like it's going to be a huge reason to go and re-watch the film and whilst i would like to see it again on the big screen i just get very cynical when they do this yeah whenever any studio does this oh we're adding more things in if they're that good you would have kept them in the first place
0: okay i've got some news and still staying within the sony empire so in the wake of success of Ghostbusters Afterlife, which you were okay with, didn't love.
1: Oh, I, I, I grew to love it more over time. It's okay. fun that I was I enjoyed when we walked out of it, like after I'd watched it. And then the more I thought about it, the more my love for it grew. And so when I've seen it again, I'm just like, yeah, love it. But it's it taps into the nostalgia aspect and I can understand people who didn't love it, who weren't big fans of the original. In the same way that Top Gun Maverick is doing the same kind of thing now.
0: So Sony have confirmed that there's a sequel to Afterlife, uh, unsurprisingly, in the works. In addition to that, a new animated film. So talking at a presentation, uh, which was known as Ghostbusters Day, Jason Reitman and Gil Cannon announced that the codename for the new film is Firehouse. It'll be set in New York, home of the original two movies. Uh, That's the Ivan Reitman two movies. Which is not much of a surprise given that uh, spoilers, Afterlife ended with Ecto One driving back into the city.
1: Anyone who didn't stick around for the end credit stings on Ghostbusters would not have realised that element. But it literally end closed with the car driving into the old firehouse. So we're getting an
0: animated sequel as well as a sequel to Afterlife, which will feature the next chapter in the Spengler family saga.
1: And in addition. Uh, for the, to fill the gaps of the story between afterlife and the next film, they're also working with Dark Horse to do a little mini comic series, which will tell you how the characters' journeys link to link, leading up to that next film. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in for as much uh, Ghostbusters as they can throw at me.
0: Well, that's okay because there's also going to be another animated TV series as well, and I've got a lot of love for what was originally known as the real Ghostbusters.
1: The real Ghostbusters, What was originally
0: known as the real Ghostbusters. A lot of love for that.
1: From Ghostbusters to Ghostface. And Scream 6 is ploughing ahead. No shock, really, after the success of the latest entry. With Jenna Ortega, who's reprising the role of Sam Carpenter from the most recent film, promising that this new script is going to be the most aggressive and violent entry yet. In her words, Ghostface gets a lot more intimidating I just read part of the script and it just gets more and more gory. I think this is, this is probably the most aggressive and violent version of Ghostface we've ever seen, which I think will be really fun to shoot. Also returning to this is Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, Mason Gooding, and Hayden Pantera, who's returning from the fourth film. Uh, Courtney Cox is expected to still return. However, Neve Campbell posted publicly that sadly I won't be making the next screen film. As a woman, I have had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value I've brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and to what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. Which to me sounds like she she's asked for a significant chunk of money for what is essentially a support role because the, the franchise is now being handed over to Ortega. Yeah. It's that new new group. But the whole point of the legacy thing is that the old characters are only there to kickstart it. So, you yeah, know, it, it's sad to not see a part of it and she won't get to exit it in any major spectacular fashion. Although if you watch the most recent one, she has enough to do in that to make it, even, even in the most recent one, it was more or less just an extended cameo but it was enough to make it, okay, that's that's brought her back, but wrapped it all up nicely. I don't think her story needs to be told any further.
0: No, I think I think eventually that character's got to be done. And as you said, it's time to move on to, to the next generation. Yeah. Um, Andy, surprisingly, when we talked about Warner Brothers, you managed to get through an entire section without mentioning a certain hashtag. But I'm going to not introduce that certain hashtag, but talk about Zack Snyder, because as we know, his new Star Wars film, sorry, Rebel Moon, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Sorry, Rebel Moon, his own original idea, which was originally a Star Wars film, which feels like (laughs) a remake to Battle Beyond the Stars, has acquired uh, some major uh, acting chops in the form of Anthony Hopkins, who is joining Zack Snyder's Netflix uh,
1: production. Yes, he's going to be playing Jimmy, a sentient battle droid and a one-time defender of the slain king uh, for Rebel Moon. And we had a a released image of the character that looks typically Zack Snyder, to be honest with you. nicer, grayed out and, you know, dull looking shot with something that looks kind of robotic with shiny eyes, but looks a bit too over detailed and complex to actually make it seem feasible. I don't want to lose hope here. I I want to have some fun with this film. I don't want to fall into this trap of thinking, what has Zack done again?
0: Yeah, but Andy, uh, you know, to bring you back onto it, you had a lot of fun. With uh, Army of the Dead in a way that I, I initially did, and then it fell apart. And then for you me rewatched it, <laughs> huge gaping holes in it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's you make so the I'm, I'm, of I've got to be honest. Game. I am
0: I'm looking forward to this one.
1: Only ever watch any Zack Snyder films once because <laughs> if you watch them twice, then you notice the errors. Um, Adam McKay has revealed that he's he's got another film in the pipeline, which is going to be a satire. Funnily enough, okay, it's not I'd like expect he's a satire. Nothing, lot. nothing
0: less from. Adam McKay.
1: It'll be very similar in tone to Don't Look Up, but it's going to target the financial institutions. Um, In his own words, if the last movie, Don't Look Up, was about the outcome of what's broken about us, that we're staring at the collapse of the livable climate, this one is more about the actual arterial blocks in our hearts, what's causing it, which is, of course, big, dirty money. And it's a comedy as well. Blended with drama, but overall, I'll call it a comedy. I'm always there for an Adam McKay film.
0: Yeah, me too. Me
1: too. A load of people were like turn the nose up but don't look up saying it was too on the nose. But you know what? It needs to be. And I loved yeah. every moment of it. I've watched it three times now.
0: We've had over the last week some major uh, uh, trailer drops. Uh, just very quickly, we had the last trailer drop for Jordan Peele's new, is it horror? Is it sci-fi? Is it both uh, for Nope? Nope. So you've not seen that one?
1: Nope. <laughs>
0: nope. We've had another trailer drop for Bullet Train.
1: Yeah, it's only a few weeks away, that one. I'm really looking yeah. forward to that film.
0: And for me, the most intriguing of all we had, the trailer for Dan Trachenberg's highly anticipated Prey. The Predator movie, which is a kind of a prequel set against the Comanche tribe, isn't it? And that yeah. looked fantastic. Really, really giddy with anticipation for that
1: one. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the one that they've been saying that there's not a lot of dialogue in it. It's It's going to be, you know, it's relying on quiet tension so really excited really excited
0: uh, amongst all those was also rob zombies uh, the monsters which even from the trailer oh well which was a kind of a take on the uh, opening titles of the original uh, monster series that sherry moon zombie even in a 30 second clip can't act
1: oh she's terrible she has one facial expression and one tone of voice and Yeah, I wouldn't say she's the worst thing in a Rob Zombie film because Rob Zombie's name being on it is the worst thing in a Rob Zombie film as far as I'm concerned. But I've got no interest in The monsters. I used to enjoy watching the TV show as a kid. I enjoyed Mockingbird Lane when it had that pilot. That's what I wanted to see as The monsters. That was interesting. I don't want to see what Rob Zombie can do with it because, no, he's just not good. I just don't dig him. I don't get the fascination. I've
0: only ever walked out of a couple of movies and one of them was a Rob Zombie movie. With, which
1: one was it? Devil's Rejects? Devil's Rejects.
0: It was Devil's Rejects. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I couldn't abide it. I hated every second of what I was watching on screen.
1: It's like when, when he did his remake of uh, Halloween. It's basically take the old Halloween and just add layers of grease.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was unpleasant. <laughs> it wasn't entertaining. It wasn't unpleasant. I've got nothing against horror, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and I got into a bit of a a, a rant and discussion, should I say? And somebody accused me of being English and prissy, but I just thought it was it was <laughs> a, a was a loathsome film. It wasn't even an, it wasn't even bad. It was just loathsome and unpleasant. Hated it.
1: And last bit of news from me today: Cobra Kai creators Josh Hilde, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg are reportedly on board to produce a feature film based on the Duke Newcomb character for Legendary Pictures.
0: Well, if anyone's going to do anything interesting with them, it's going to be those guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I read this news, I thought to myself, is the room in this society for Duke Newcomb? I mean, <laughs> we're, to- we're talking about a character that was inspired by the excesses of 80s action heroes, is misogynistic through and through. The games were known for the carnage, cheesy humour and very, very crass nature. And uh, bear in mind, this was a shooting game that you spent most of your time in strip clubs throwing dollars at strippers. I couldn't work out whether or not this is a good idea in this day and age. But then I started to think about it and went, but maybe that's the whole point.
0: Yeah, Maybe
1: the whole point is to have fun with it. Um, We know that a few years previously, um, John Cena was attached to play Duke Nukem. And I can definitely see that. And I would love it if if he'd happily come back. Although it might be a little too close to his Peacemaker character. Because again, you've got like a mindless, gruntish, sometimes misogynistic character. Who we've seen grow into something something else over the Peacemaker series, but he would have been perfectly cast if this film had gone into production about eight years ago when it was originally getting touted around. Let's see what those Cobra Kai guys can do with it, because if anyone can tap into nostalgia and make it work for a modern audience, they seem to be the people.
0: Yeah, you know, I can see, I can see something. I, I won't say what, but I can see it a, a way <laughs> this could go. Yeah, and that is this week's the news. <laughs> Still with us? Still enjoying The Film File? We certainly hope so. And if you want to know more about The Film File, then you can do so. You can subscribe to the podcast and have them delivered right into your ear holes every week. And you can have bonus episodes. You can have extended episodes. You can have all the fun that we like to produce on a weekly basis. All you have to do is head over to your favourite podcast platform, search The Film File, and there we are in full Technicolor and Dolby sound. Well, not so much Dolby. Remember to subscribe, and please, please, please remember to leave a review. And if you're already a fan, please tell all your Film Geek friends. But you're thinking, how do I get to know
1: even more about The Film File? We've got that covered too. All you have to do is head on over to Twitter and follow us at Filmfile UK. Or search for us on other social media platforms, Filmfile UK. You can get in touch with us directly via email, podcast at filmfile.uk. Any thoughts, suggestions, whatever you want to talk about, get in touch. Always happy to get any feedback, any comments and any mentions sent our way.
0: And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. And in lieu of the release of the new Jurassic World film, We thought we'd go back to the heady days of 1993. Directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by Kathleen Kennedy. The first instalment of the Jurassic Park franchise appeared on our screen. It was based on the 1990 novel of the same name by Michael Crichton, with a screenplay by Crichton and David Coop. The film is set on a fictional island, the Isla Nublar, located somewhere off Central America's Pacific coast near Costa Rica, A wealthy businessman John Hammond and a team of genetic scientists have created a wildlife park of de-extinct dinosaurs. When industrial sabotage leads to a catastrophic shutdown of the park's power and security precautions, a small group of visitors, including Hammond's own grandchildren, struggle to survive and escape the prehistoric perils.
2: Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time How'd you do this? becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Can I touch it? Sure. Universal Pictures presents You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. This is a failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! I can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park.
0: I, a bit like you, Andy, can't believe That this came out in 1993. I remember discussions and chats with film friends and film geeks as the film was about to land with the idea that this could be a game changer and boy were we right because this film not only changed special effects and especially CGI special effects but also opened up the realms of Well, it was one of those films where you could actually say that when you saw it for the first time, you were left with your jaw wide open because what you were seeing on screen was the unbelievable made believable. And to some extent, I think that's what the problem is with the uh, more recent films because nothing will ever take away that feeling of when you saw dinosaurs so wonderfully realised as the characters saw them on the big screen, and it made it feel real. The best out of all the films, including Steven Spielberg's own sequel, this has every right to be called a classic.
1: Yeah, I remember when this came out, and on the run-up to it coming out, when the publicity was everywhere, and it was one of those films that I thought, oh, this is going to be really popular, and I want to be cool, and not just like like a popular thing, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be cynically, like, yeah, I'm not bothered with this film. So when I went to watch it, I was like, you're dragging me along to see Jurassic Park. Uh, who wants to see dinosaurs on screen? And literally when Sam Neill as Alan first spies a dinosaur and like takes his glasses off and like, it's like looking in amazement. I was doing exactly the same in the cinema. It's because I could believe that whole That whole stunned aspect that he had of he's seeing dinosaurs in front of him for the first time. I felt the same way in the audience and I was in from that point. Even now you can re-watch this film, and the effects still look really jaw-dropping. But getting to see them on the big screen, they've lost some impact on the small screen. On the big screen, if you ever get a chance to see the first Jurassic Park and get that. It's that way that it slowly builds up until you get the first Brontos come into view. Yeah. And it's the fact that you've been building and building, whereas now a Jurassic Park film will throw, it, throw out a dinosaur within the first five minutes. All that we saw in the first few minutes was the crate with something in it, and you don't get to see the detail. It's such a good film where all the elements seem to be right. You've got Spielberg really at the top of his blockbuster game. This is something that he... Yeah, he he started off with Jaws. He set what the Summertime Ten pole movie would be. And he'd done many other blockbusters. But this is possibly the one that he gets every element really put into place. The casting. Can we talk about this cast?
0: Yeah, what a cast. What an absolute cast.
1: The fact that there's so much buzz around the new film, purely on the back of most of this cast coming back, shows how effective they all were. I mean, Sam Neil, as I've already said, he... he really brings you along into the film as the paleontologist Alan Grant whose love for dinosaurs you can see clearly he's always a great actor anyway but this is one of my favorite roles because he just feels so real Laura Dern is fun she's she's giddy with excitement but she also does the panic quite beautifully and then you've got the magnificence of Jeff Goldblum let's be honest that guy can be added to anything and make yeah, it I mean, this was Goldblum
0: at the top of his game. You know, this is when he'd would gone and developed from being a great supporting actor to a leading man. You know, he did that with The Fly. And here he just, just brings absolute class to, to, to the entire movie. Not to forget, you know, uh, to some extent, Spielberg's cinematic grandfather, Sir Richard Attenborough. <laughs> and let's yeah. not forget Bob Peck. Bob yeah. Peck was a was a brilliant British character actor. Always known for me for Edge of Darkness, which is one of the greatest British TV shows ever. But Bob Peck just brought just brought class to a role which anybody else it might have been a, a throwaway role, a victim role. But he just brought so much to it. Uh, this was a, a fabulous film. Like like yourself, when I saw The Brontos for the very first time, I was caught up in it. It has every element of, of pure Spielberg uh, magic, which is not to let the special effects overwhelm the story, to keep that sense of wonder, to see it through different eyes, the eyes of, of Alan Grant uh, and uh, the Ellie Sattler character played by Laura Dern, as well as, as, as Goldblum's eyes, but through the kids' eyes as well, that, that yeah. amazement. There's a real sense of peril in the same way that he brought a sense of peril to Jaws. This is the last great, for me, Spielberg
1: super blockbuster. The beloved Richard Attenborough, playing the role of Hammond, who was supposed to be, according to Michael Crichton, a dark Walt Disney. He was supposed to be cynical and evil and corporate. But when you cast Richard Attenborough, you're not going to get that. You're going to get someone who everyone adores. And so they tweaked the character. I think it works so much better as a result. yeah. Because it, you now get the feeling that everything that he did with the creation of, like, bringing dinosaurs back, he was doing because he was genuinely excited about this idea of letting people see these things again and bringing things back from being extinct and miss it. And it needs, then, the Jeff Goldblum characters to point out the failings of trying to interfere with nature. And it works so, so well as, as it goes. The kids, the child actors... Uh, Joseph Mazzello and Ariana Richards. Normally, kids in any film, especially especially an action film, they're great on you. And we spend a lot of time with these. And there's many set pieces that relies purely on their acting talents. And every one of them, I was gripped with the T Rex attacking them in the Jeep scene. Is you know, a mixture of mostly practical effects with some some CGI tinkering around the edges. And it's just beautifully, beautifully paced. And every threat that they get, you feel that Ariana Richards in particular is genuinely scared. I'm wondering whether Spielberg actually terrorized her on set in order to get this <laughs> result. Because uh, she she genuinely convinces. She doesn't feel like one of those fake child actors who can just do one kind of scream. She goes through every range of emotions. Everything makes it great. You've got the minor actors. When Samuel L. Jackson is a minor actor in your film, then you know that everyone else is really important. And Wayne Knight is brilliant as Dennis Nedry. We'd, we'd seen him on TV and things like Third Rock from the Sun. But in this, yeah, he, he just has that little... He adds some humour to it, whilst also being a, a scheming, devious, manipulative backstabber. I absolutely can go back and re-watch Jurassic Park over and over again and it's not just for the effects and the effects are fantastic but it is like you say it's the fact that Spielberg focused on the story and the characters and then added the effects in around it
0: absolutely as I said this film was a game changer uh CGI was still kind of in its infancy but the clever combination of what you could do at the time with CGI and Stan Winston's practical effects that's what gave this film a sense of realism now, this film started out as a as a book by Michael Crichton. Uh, when the novel was published, four studios put in bids for the film rights, including Warners for Tim Burton, Columbia Pictures uh, with Richard Donner in mind, 20th Century Fox for Joe Dante, but Universal Studios eventually acquired them for Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg said he wanted to do a land-based version of his own film, Jaws, but he also cited... Godzilla King of the Monsters, that's the 1956 version that he grew up watching. And, and, and Spielberg himself described Godzilla as the most masterful of all dinosaur movies because it made him and viewers believe that it was really happening. Crichton turned in a draft of the script, but it was David Keop who took out some of the uh, more violent aspects and uh, a lot of the novel's exposition and made sort of numerous changes to the character. And I have to be honest, having read the book, I think the film, it's one of those rare occasions when the film is better than the book.
1: Yeah, I can't quite take to Crichton, the writer. I can't take to his novels. I've tried so many times, but I just, I, I don't know. There's something about them that just doesn't work for me. And yeah, when I read on the run up to um, Jurassic Park coming out, this was getting made. I hadn't read Jurassic Park at that point in time, but I knew that it had similarities to Westworld. And I just thought he can only make one story. And let's be honest, he can. But what a story it was when it translated to film. It this is a perfect example of how you take a source material, get rid of all the things that don't work, and make it solid for the film side of it. The film series continued after the first one because of course it did. It's a huge success. You <laughs> want to make a franchise. And so we got Spielberg back for the second one. And the second film gets a lot of flack. Loads of people will dismiss it and say it's rubbish. I don't think it is. I just think it's lazy. It still has some shining moments of Spielberg brilliance, but it just feels like repetition for repetition's sake.
0: I think three quarters of it are a pretty good film. I think the the ill-advised last act with the T-Rex turning up in the US, yeah, you could see that, that Spielberg was desperate to do a Godzilla movie. Yeah. But it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, and there were elements that had always been hinted at for a sequel, which have still, to this day, have never been explored. Yeah, it's lazy. There's there's some great elements. Of course, there's the sequence in the overturned RV, which is hanging above the crevice, which is just brilliant. filmmaking. But it, yeah. it, it liked, and again, which each of the films have done, likes that sense of that first impression that you will always get from Jurassic Park. I, I've got more love than some for the Joe Johnston uh, Jurassic Park 3. I thought that was a clever way. And I think if you'd have uh, had Spielberg directing that one, it would have been a, a much, much stronger film. Well, not that, that Joe Johnston couldn't direct a, a good movie. Hey, I'm looking at you, Rocketeer and Captain America. For both yeah. being great movies, but it felt muted, and it felt like we were running out of ideas. Even though it was great to see Sam Neill back for that for that movie, but I I think it's underrated. Then of course we get the the current trilogy, and I think that's where mm. for us the problem started, and it became. The first one was very much let's replicate exactly what happened in the first Jurassic Park.
1: Yeah. It tapped into the nostalgia with occasional like, oh, here's the helmet camera like torch thing from the first film. Oh, here's a Jeep from the first film. And it relied it seemed to rely on that to make you go, Oh, it's the original Jurassic Park bits. Oh, I like that. I must like this by result. And it it's misguided in its approach and understanding of how the characters work in the original film. Because we, we, in the original film, we had the accountant tax guy uh, character who ends up getting disposed of when he tries to hide in a toilet. And that was a moment that you kind of like laugh at someone's death because he was a creepy, not, like a horrible kind of character. And everyone hates like accountants and bankers. Accountants, so, yes, you know. let's be honest. <laughs> so Sorry it, for any accountants are listening. It worked on that basis. So what did they do to try to replicate that in Jurassic World? They had the nanny. They had the one who was looking after the kids who was only doing her job. And not only does she get dispatched, but she gets dispatched in a way that is just like picked up, thrown into the air, grabbed by one, eaten by another. And she's like, you've made this ridiculous. And that's the way this plays out as well. You get the feeling that they're expecting that to be an audience like, oh, she's gone. (laughs) She was horrible. She wasn't. She was a nanny looking after the kids. I mean, that should have been a horrific moment, but it was played for laughs. And it's yeah. things like that that made me realise that it's this was just making a film to try to tap into nostalgia and replicate success of previous films. And the effects don't look as good as they did in the 90s because it relies no, too not. heavily on CGI. And CGI, sadly, does age pretty rapidly.
0: And uh, then we had Fallen Kingdom, directed <laughs> by the ever-usually resourceful J.A. Biona, who delivered some fantastic visuals, some some really, really stunning shots unfortunately marred by a, a sub-level script a script yeah. that didn't know where it was going or what it wanted to do became increasingly sillier as the the film went on and had very much zero tension throughout of it even though it did give an intriguing coda which the new film jurassic world dominion has picked up on but again this has this has had some shocking reviews even though it's going to do very well at the box office initially, even though I, I suggest it's going to have a, a poor second week, I think we've come to the end, really, of the Jurassic Park movies.
1: Yeah. Because nothing I, I delivers think right.
0: like that very first Spielberg movie. Yep,
1: yeah, I think you're right. Fallen Kingdom lost me after the opening section. You know, where, with the island and they're trying to get the dinosaurs off the island to save them because if the volcano is going to erupt. And then you have all the stampeding dinosaurs going off the cliff edge and falling into the water and dying. And then once all the humans get off the island, they look back and one lone brontosaurus, like coming through the clouds of smoke, going, and you're supposed to feel, oh, no, that poor brontosaurus. I've just seen 400 dinosaurs die. You're not getting me to feel sympathy for this one that's left. It's not going to work. And it lost it from that point onwards. The whole film fell apart. I've not really got any interest in watching this one, and no, no, neither have I. I feel that I need to watch it, but I don't want to watch it. And I might, if I get, if if I have no time, if I have some spare time, and I feel like uh, I might as well kick kick back for two hours, I'll pop in and review it for one of the later shows. But if you're out there expecting us to review Dominion, neither of us are really that bothered. And, you talk, and I'm talking as a guy who watches every Sky original. Yes. That's how dedicated I am to watching films.
0: I was going to go and see it in advance. And then I was asked to do uh, a bit for radio. And it, I couldn't change the, the transmission time for, for the BBC. And so I missed seeing Jurassic World 3, for want of a better term. And then I've not had much in the way of Desire really, to, to go and see it. If you go this yep. week, I might go with you.
1: Well, I'm only back for a couple of days, so um, it's unlikely because my feet are hurting. With the Jurassic franchise, I do think, I like the idea for Dominion that now dinosaurs are around the world. They're within society. And I just feel that this part of the story has come far too late. This should have been, been Jurassic Park 3, to be honest with you. Yes. This should have been done two decades ago. And failing that, this should have been Jurassic World, the first Jurassic World film. We shouldn't have taken two Jurassic World films to make it a Jurassic World. It makes no sense. All that they've managed to do is deliver us a fourth part and a fifth part that were just playing heavily on the first part and second part and third part and showing us things that we've already seen. The Jurassic franchise will never impact in the same way because we've now seen so many giant CGI creature creations stomping through like teller trees, killing... Mm-hmm animals and humans left, right and centre, that it's no longer got that impact. You've got to do something really special to stand out. And the Jurassic franchise, sadly, it seems to now think that the effects will sell it all, but they need to get you to care about the characters. And I don't I don't care about any of the characters in the new films. I only want to see this, Like, like the only thing which makes me want to see elements of this new One Dominion is seeing the old cast come back. But given the base and switch of the previous film, I'm sceptical about that. Because we were promised on the trailers, Jeff Goldblum, and basically all that we had was the clips that we'd seen in the trailers. I don't want to be baited and switched again because Chris Pratt, yeah, I do like him as an actor, but I don't think he's doing anything except for just his generic Chris Pratt role in this film. Yeah. And Bryce Dallas Howard deserves so much better than what she's doing here.
0: Is this the end for Jurassic Park, World, whatever? Probably not because, you know, you can't keep a good dinosaur down. But if you really want to go back, and see where it all started, go back and watch Jurassic Park. See it with fresh eyes. See it in all its glory, because it is an absolutely classic film. If you've not enjoyed anything that's come afterwards, then highly suggested that Spielberg's Jurassic Park can still instill a sense of wonder. Andy, where can we find it if we do want to watch it?
1: Now TV or Sky Movies subscribers, you can watch the Jurassic Park series on there. Watch the first three. Stop there. Everyone else, go out and buy the Blu-ray box set, particularly the Blu-ray box set, which only has Jurassic Park's one, two, and three. Don't waste your money on the others.
0: And we'll be back again sometime soon with another deep dive. Okay, and now it's time for both of us to try and review things with the limited amount of films or TV series that we've watched. Andy, you're going to go first by talking about two movies that have crept upon you on Netflix. This week,
1: And these two films basically showcase the highs and the lows of Netflix. So we'll start with the high. And that is, and you don't hear this very often from me, Adam Sandler absolutely selling a role in a film called Hustle.
2: You love this game. I mean, love it with your whole heart. Because if you don't, let's not even bother. Let's not open that door. They're just going to slam it right in our face. I love this game, I live this game. And there's a thousand other guys waiting in the wings who are obsessed with this game. Obsession is gonna be talent every time. You got all the talent in the world, but are you obsessed? Is it all you ever think about? Let's face it, it's you against you out there. When you walk on that court, you have to think I am the best guy out there. I don't care if LeBron's playing. So let me ask you again. Do you love this game? Yes. Is there a newborn kitten purring in here right now? I couldn't hear you. Do you want to be in the NBA? Yes! Well, let's make that happen. Never back down.
1: Now, in Hustle, Adam Sandler plays Stanley Sugarman a scout for the Philadelphia 76ers, who is weary of his work and the long stints away from his family, missing his daughter's birthday year on year, has clearly been hard on him. And when he discovers the street talent, Bo, played by Wancho Herman Gomez, he sets about ensuring the world gets to see this young Spaniard's talent. But he's met with conflict from the new owner of the 76ers, Vincent, at every turn, risking financial ruin Stanley does all he can to make a star of this hidden talent in a generic but wonderfully acted sports drama. Yes, you can predict every beat of this film, but the difference is how well Hustle is presented. And what's impressive in particular in this, how much of the cast are actual basketball stars, yet all seem to deliver much stronger acting talent than we actually would expect. Some of them are playing themselves. They're playing variations of themselves. Some are playing fictional characters. Juancho Herman Gomez, for example, in the secondary role as Bo is absolutely, absolutely captivating. And as the relationship between Bo and Sugarman starts to develop and grow over the film, you genuinely believe and you genuinely care for both of them. You want him to succeed. You know he will because, hey, This is an American movie about a sports rags to Richard story. Of course, he's going to succeed in the end. But you still worry that maybe he won't. The bond between Sandler and Herman Gomez is what the film hangs around. And it's a solid bond. And it moves you to emotional moments. I came close to tears, didn't quite cry. But it's also got a level of humour in there. Sandler throwing out a few wisecracks and quips. Thankfully, restrained. keeping to the acting talents. This is what I am loving about Adam Sandler. This This is a completely different Adam Sandler than 15, 20 years ago when he was churning out droll comedy after droll comedy. Now, I'm genuinely getting to a stage where if Adam Sandler's name is attached to something, I'm interested. Thoroughly recommend Hustle. It's on Netflix right now. It's probably buried in the algorithm and you've probably not seen it, so go searching for it and treat yourself to this Wonderful sports drama. Even if you have no love of basketball, I have no love of any sport, this is a solid film about characters and drama with some light touches and some great basketball moments on the court, which made me actually want to start watching basketball.
0: And we've said it time and time uh, before that this is what Adam Sandler can do. When you you put him in a straight man role, that's when he is his most impressive. So I'm not surprised... I'm not not surprised that you've enjoyed it as much as you did, but I'm not surprised how good a performance. that We know Sandler is very, very capable of turning out when he mm. takes a more serious run at things. However, your next choice, I've already sort of spoiled, didn't really <laughs> land for you, despite the fact that it's produced by Chris Hemsworth.
1: It's disappointingly produced by Chris Hemsworth. Chris, if you're listening, stick to acting, because Interceptor... It's not something to put your name to.
2: Navy runs a boat. Army handles the missiles. Captain Collins reporting, sir. Everyone wants to be anywhere but here. We're the only interceptor platform protecting from a nuclear missile attack. We have a situation. Unauthorized missile removal. What the hell's going on up there? We <laughs> are up for this don't worry about me sir interceptor what is your status seven terrorists seized our vessel and they tried to take the command center i have contained or killed everyone else on this vessel and we control 16 nuclear missiles i need to disable your command center so i will be getting into that room you want this room come and get it
1: so interceptor stars elsa Patsaki as Captain JJ Collins, who, following the conclusion of a high-profile sexual misconduct case by one of her superiors, experienced hazing and bullying from her peers. Yes, this is an action film with a Me Too movement message behind it. She's reassigned to a remote platform in the Pacific, one of two bases that are used as interceptor sites in case of Russian nuclear launch. When the other base, Fort Greeley, is captured and reports leak out that a Russian depot has been raided, Collins-Fanch may be the country's only hope when the station is invaded by a team led by Alex Kessel, a fellow American, but one with a different approach to patriotism. From the offset, this film feels cheap. And it looks cheap. It's got stilted lines of dialogue that feel under-rehearsed and monotone in delivery. Elsa Pataky lacks any range, and this is a problem when trying to portray a character who's had a troubled recent history. The attempts to add in a Me Too element of sexual misconduct and harassment within the military, falls sadly flat and feels unnecessary as a result when it should be something that would give it something different to make it stand out from other generic action films, because this is a generic film. Any attempt by Elsa to show any trauma or sorrow just ends up making her look uncomfortable. The whole film wants to come across as Die hard on a rig. And the overall feel is one of, you know, the late night sci fi budget movies, the ones that are generally lower budgets, but usually have their tongue firmly planted in their cheek. I'm thinking Sharknado. I'm thinking any of those generic action films that you know what to expect at 10 o'clock on sci fi. But sadly, this one's trying to take itself too seriously. And the camera work is lazy, the plot is absolutely generic. Every trope ever from an action film is dumped within. A couple of particular examples that elicited unintentional chuckles from me for how utterly droll they were, where a bulk door is being cut through by a, a torch, and one of them says, how long will it take to cut through that door? 60 minutes. And Q, you see another torch has just started cutting through. Make that 30 minutes. And it's just like, oh, please, we've seen this done before. And then my favourite of all, if this was real, the Pentagon would have called by now. Q, red phone on the wall, starts ringing at that moment. It's that kind of lazy screenwriting where everything is just set up for something to happen and it just doesn't feel like it flows. Interceptor is simply a bad film that maybe you could have fun with after a few drinks while sat around mocking it with somebody's. But sadly, as someone who doesn't drink alcohol, there's nothing to diminish the cheap, lazy, and trite attempts on display for me. A few reasonable action moments, even if they don't always make sense, barely save the film from absolute bargain bin rot. Looks cheap, very generic, every cliche, and the worst dialogue I've heard on film in a while. And and I watch Venom too.
0: (laughs) So that's the movies that we've seen. You're not up to date with Obi-Wan.
1: I'm not. No. I I still have last week's episode to watch.
0: Absolutely enjoying this. This is the this is the Star Wars series that we weren't looking for. This wasn't the series we were looking for. <laughs> Just to misquote that famous quote. But it's it's um it's been an absolute joy. I'm loving where they're taking the character. I'm constantly surprised. I hope there's going to be another series and I, I i kind of think there will be but uh, as we said when we talked about episode one it's 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 great to see ewan mcgregor do something different with the role and and yeah. take us in a direction that we didn't yes. know it could go in and it's been delightfully dark the, the, the only downside of it has been some of the horrible comments over the internet about uh, one particular actor amongst the amongst the cast which has been racially motivated and you know how can you be a real fan of something and then you know decry it because of gender norms or or or, or race baiting. It it's horrible. Oh, it's-, it's horrible. It's a shame that this series has is, is, is been doored by those pathetic people who think every character in every series that they ever watch should be white.
1: It 's a character that, if it had' been played by a white male, no none of those toxic community would have had any issues that could have been played in exactly the same manner, the exact same level of acting ability, and they'd be fine, but it's because it's a female character who's not white that these people are latching on and so and I'm, I'm getting upset because that character has been announced to have their own spin-off show, and I can't wait because I actually think that there's a lot to this character. I also think that a lot of people are just basing it on the fact that she the character is a hate filled character. Yeah. It's she's supposed to be. And there's reasons for that. And we're going to see why as the series progresses. Let a sort of story play out before you make your decisions on how the character's been played, because you might find out it's been played perfectly correct. I've got no problems. Uh, everything that I've seen of Obi Wan so far, like we said when we first spoke about the first episode, we were both quite surprised because we both went into Obi Wan expecting to be proven right in our thoughts that there's no reason for an Obi-Wan series. And we were both proven wrong and we're glad to be proven wrong. So yeah, I'm going to be catching up over this next couple of days while I've actually got, you know, Uh, (laughs) Wi-Fi because that's something that doesn't exactly, exactly exist in (laughs) Inn. But yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up on it and really, really looking forward to seeing how, this last few episodes will play out.
0: Uh, And I'm disappointed to say that the same thing applies to the new uh, Disney Plus Marvel series, Ms. Marvel, which has received praise from reviewers, universally praised by reviewers and fans, but has been blasted by some for its diversity, calling it too woke, cringy, and again, racially motivated uh, uh, comments because the new Disney Plus series follows Kamala Khan a 16-year-old Muslim girl, a Pakistani-American girl with superpowers. The superhero universe for the longest time has, seen, has been patriarchal, as long for the long time being predominantly white, and now we have something different. Of course, there are those who've come along and decided that that's not acceptable either.
1: Yeah, the Ms. Marvel show, adapted pretty well from the comics. I love the comics. And Ms. Marvel in the comics, the same as she is in the series, has a very early Spider Man vibe, the nerdy teenage aspect. And again, this is a character that, if this had been a, a Spider Man, like a Spider Man TV series done exactly the same way, those people who have been negative about it, I don't think would be negative about it because this has a very Spidey vibe all the way through. It's yes. fun, it's energetic. I love the animations, I love the use of animations on the walls in the background to show her daydreaming nature because it, it truly this truly is a comic book on the small screen because there's panels literally lifted from the com- like first few comics that are put on there and framed in the same way. And I've just been watching it today just going, this is great. This is exactly what I wanted from Miss Marvel. In case you didn't realize, I'm a big fan of the comic book of Ms. Marvel. I think it's one of the freshest new characters that they've introduced into the Marvel stable in the past decade in the past four decades, to be honest with you, really is a great, great character. And it's good to see how well Iman Valani has captured every element of the character, including the the, the mouth p- pouts that she does, you know, the the slanted smiles or the the chewing the bottom lips kind of aspects of nervousness and nerdiness that you see represented on the comic book form so often. And she's Captured it perfectly. She's great. She's so charming, likable, funny. And the whole cast gel so well. And like you say, it's focusing on, uh, you know, Marvel's first proper Muslim focused comic book character and seeing that family aspect, particularly the Muslim family aspects. Because, you know, my best mate from university, Adas, he's Muslim from a Pakistani community. And so I c- I'm laughing at all the little nuances that they've added in that represents those communities. The things like, um, take some food with you. That's like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. She comes back with like a whole bunch of food. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. They seem to have boxes and boxes already made up in the fridges and freezers ready for you to take. It's marvellously tapped into it. It's fun. It's fresh. And I think so far, after one episode, it's it's rapidly rising to be my favourite show so far from the Marvel stable.
0: I mean, this was directed by Adil and Bilal who previously directed the much more action-based comedy, Bad Boys for Life, which I know you hated. But yep. their versatility as directors has is, is been great in this. They go from uh, pathos to those, as you said, those lovely animated drawings and where the words match the type of scribbles and doodles that, that mm. a, an average teenage girl would make. And it adds that kind of whimsy to a, a coming-of-age vibe. Uh, what this show's about. I, I think the lead is fantastic. Um, she's incredibly relatable uh, as an, uh, uh, an Avengers fan. The relationship she has with her parents, the idea that she's on a, a journey with her best friend Bruno. It's all very believable. I, I had a good time with it. I, For the first time, though, with a Marvel show, I thought, you know what? This isn't aimed at me. Moon Knight was aimed at me. This isn't yeah. aimed at me. This is aimed at a very, very specific target market. I thought it did it wonderfully. I thought it captured the best elements of the comics without having to go into the, the strands of the origin that were done in, done in the comic. I thought I loved the energy. It had a, a, an almost a Pixar, uh, Seeing Red kind of, of uh, vibe to it. I just thought for the first time, I am not the market for this one. That's not to damn it at all. To take anything away from it, everything I enjoyed mm. about it, I, I did enjoy about it. You said the the performances were great, the style's great. I just think, for once, it's not aimed at me. I'm okay with that. It doesn't yeah. have to be. It doesn't have to be dark and gritty. It doesn't have to feature characters that I've grown up with. This is fantastic. That that it's it's appealing to 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 viewers in a world that don't get to see themselves represented on screen especially as superheroes whether that's somebody from the uh, pakistani background or a muslim background or a a 15 year old 16 year old girl background i thought it touched upon all those things superbly but for me it's not aimed at me and i'm absolutely absolutely okay with that i'm just, that is not a negative
1: yeah i mean i, I can get that i mean- it was for me because, like I said, I'm a huge fan of the comic. I latched onto the comic for the fact that it seemed very spidey in feel, but I grew to love the characters themselves within it, within the first two issues. So I've been waiting for this representation a while. Yes, they've changed the origin of the powers, no longer in Inhuman, like where the powers come from Terrigen Mists, but it's kept the character. And I love the way that they seem to be bringing the Eternals technology, being the, the, the start-offs, a lot of different abilities now they're tapping into that ancient law of like cosmic powers aspect for this phase of Marvel and it's going to grow it's going to build if you've not checked out Ms. Marvel because you're one of these weird people who's just going oh it's aimed at teenage girls give it a shot genuinely thoroughly recommend giving it a shot because at the end of the day Spider-Man is aimed at teenage boys and you still enjoy that So why not? Check it out.
0: In our next show, we'll be talking about The Boys. I'll let Andy catch up with that so we can discuss it together. But otherwise, what's out this week, Andy? What are we looking forward to? I know Umbrella Academy is back for Series 3 on Netflix. Anything else?
1: I can't believe we've got to this point already, but Lightyear lands at cinemas this weekend. Is it this weekend? Oh, my goodness. This weekend comes out on the 17th. And at the same time, good luck to you. Leo Grande offers a completely different film for those people who don't want Pixar animations and want something a bit more low-key. On Now TV and Sky, if you've missed it last year, Last Night in Soho lands this week. We also get another one of Bruce Willis's final film outputs, White Elephant. That's going to be a Sky original, surely. And And definitely, if you didn't catch this when it had its limited run at the cinema, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne also lands on Now TV and Sky. So Now TV and Sky seem to be absolutely smashing it this week. Over on Netflix, Joseph Kaczynski, we have just talked about him earlier on, uh, brings us his latest mind-bending film with uh, Miles Teller and Jeremy Smollett called Spiderhead. And there's been a lot of buzz around this and Chris Hemsworth is in there. Hey, Chris, stick to acting, don't produce. <laughs> uh, so, Let's see what it has. I mean, the story comes from uh, the short story Escape from Spiderhead by Deadpool and Six Underground duo, Rhett Reese and Paul Vernick. So there's a lot of good names in this, offering some good potential for something good. For those who missed it when it was out during lockdown for its limited run, The Craft Legacy. Worth yeah, watching. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah. Worth watching. Kind of just falls apart a bit when it doesn't go deep enough into some of the themes that it wanted to explore. And then, as Lee's mentioned about 14 times during the show so far, Umbrella Academy Season 3 arrives. (laughs) Yeah,
0: looking forward to this so much.
1: Maybe I'll get past Episode 3 of Season 1 in time for Season 3 to land. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amazon has House of Gucci, which it's, it's a messy film, but there are elements to enjoy in there. Jared Leto's not. I can not tell one you of. one
0: thing apart from Jared Leto's uh, Super <laughs> Mario accent.
1: <laughs> it's for me, uh, Luigi. Um, and on Disney Plus, Doctor Strange will be landing on your TVs on the 22nd. Wow, that's come
0: around so fast.
1: Uh, yep, so that's it for What's on TV this week.
0: Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for coming back to the film file. Uh, next week, who knows? Who knows what might happen? So stick around. You're in for a bumpy ride, but there will be something for your delectation. But before we go, and it feels like forever since we last did this, our neat things, things that we've watched, done, enjoyed, uh, that we want to share with you. I've got about 100 neat things. I'm usually the person who's going, let me think of something. Let me think of something. I've got so many now to discuss with you. I don't know where to start. But as ever, Andy, what's your neat thing? For this week?
1: Well, it's a proper role reversal this week because I've struggled to think of neat things. Because over the past <laughs> two weeks, I've either been, I mean, I had the neat holiday with the family in Wales, which was really nice. And that's one neat thing. It was nice to have that downtime, nice weather, great scenery. But aside from that, I've not done anything, seen anything, played anything because I've not had time. However, I did come back to Sheffield after my time in Banbury and opened up some of my latest presents. Well, my latest gifts myself that I bought from um, Pop in a Box. And I've got the latest Iron Maiden Funko Pops. And oh, I can feel myself falling into the Funko trap once more. Because <laughs> I've got them up on the wall behind me at this point in time. I've got the whole line up. There's only two more that I need to get.
0: You need to chuck a, a picture onto our Instagram account just so uh, yeah. people can see your not only your Funko Pop entire collection, but certainly your Iron Maiden. <laughs> Uh, Funko Pops. Put it up on Twitter.
1: Yeah, I will do. I've got a couple more of the Iron Maiden, Eddie, Funko Pops to get. I need to get the um, Live After Death one. Uh, with the Somewhere in Time one, I got the Chase variant, The Stranger in the Strange Land, so he's he's in his like wide-brimmed hat, trench coat, and oh, it's beautiful. And I've also got the Power Slave album one, which is a, a big treat. That's going framed on the walls. And yes, for those people who will get upset at this, I know I've got a chase edition, but it's out the box. And that's my neat thing. My neat thing (laughs) is not only Funko Pops, but it's appreciating the fact that they are 3D molded figures and I don't just want to look at the box. I want to look at the actual figure. And they're on my wall on proud display and I love them. And I'm going to be spending a fortune on Funko Pops this year again. And this is it. I'm down that rabbit hole and I'm staying down there.
0: I'm not into the whole Funko Pop. Rabbit Hole, but I do like them. And I have a tendency to pick up the, the Rockstar ones. And I showed you before the, the show started recording an Eddie Van Halen one and Stephen Tyler one. I've got a couple of Alice Cooper ones as well. The one I do want is the Kiss Destroyer box set, which is a bit like Ooh. your uh, uh, Iron Maiden one. You know, it's with the, with the sleeve to the album in the background and, and the Funko Pops. I think they're they're great. I I'd, uh, I'd like the Def Leppard ones because I, that that just amuses my it just amuses me <laughs> that my former bosses have been Funko Pops. So uh, yes, I, uh, I I do like them, but especially like the rock and roll ones. Maybe we should put it on our our Christmas list. Anyway, my yeah. neat thing is I'm not much of a binger, but when I do binge, I become consumed by a show. And who'd have thought? A little bit like Obi Wan that this was the show that we wanted, and that's Better Call Saul. As an offshoot of Breaking Bad, following the misadventures of Saul Goodman, or ex-con artist Jimmy McGill, who turns from small-time con into small-time attorney and goes through a series of trials and tragedies before transforming into Saul Goodman, who is not only morally challenged, uh, but is a, a, a criminal lawyer it's been a fantastic series in some ways as good at times sometimes better than breaking bad and that is a tall order mainly because we got bob odenkirk who is just genius as saul goodman but we get as kim wheeler Rhea seahorn who is just a i've never been so worried for somebody's life in in my entire tv watching history uh the great jonathan banks as mike uh tony dalton Michael Manetto. It's been a brilliant, brilliant series. And we're halfway through on Netflix right now, the sixth season, and left with one of the most awesome cliffhangers before the series resumes later this month. It's It's been brilliant. I'm, I was absolutely aghast. I, I wanted to fly to the States, go to the studio, and demand that they show me the next episode. It was, it was that good. It's been a brilliant series. And as I said at the get-go, Who'd have thought that an offshoot of Breaking Bad would be this good? And in its own right, this has just been marvellous. So my neat thing, and if you've not caught any of the Better Call Souls, go back to Netflix, start from the beginning, and trust me, just trust me. And that, folks, is it for this week. We'll be back with another Film File. Your guess is as good as mine. Maybe next week, (laughs) maybe in two weeks. There will be something for you to enjoy. Andy, when are you going back down to Banbury?
1: So I'm only back for the next three days and I'll travel back down and then I'll be coming back after five days for almost two weeks off. I was supposed to be coming back for just one week off but because my day that I was due to go back coincides with the British Grand Prix and that's not far from Banbury. There's no accommodation because everywhere's booked up so I'm having to have an extended holiday. What a shame.
0: (laughs) Well, it's good to have you back, Andy.
1: Now that the cinema's opened we will hopefully be able to find time to record at some point because I'll be on on to normal working hours now. So I'm hoping that we will do a normal weekly show going forwards. But we will be doing some bonus episodes every now and then because I did enjoy putting those ones together and you're going to enjoy putting your music one together because we both love music. So keep a lookout. They may just go out as radio exclusives to replace the normal shows every now and then. Who knows?
0: You can find us as a podcast. You can find us on No Barriers Radio. This is The Film File. We will see you soon. And remember, God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs.